today on Ag News Daily. Really focused on uh, the, the North American market, and we provide a, a data platform that functions as the primary operating system for a crop farmer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madison Honkamp here, joined by Mike Pearson. And Mike, how are you feeling about all this sunshine today? You know what? This morning I was really bummed out. Before I even got out of bed, I hopped on Snapchat and the Twitter, as I do, and I was seeing photos from friends of mine who were just you know, 20 to 40 miles north of me, and they were dealing with snow. And it was gray, and it was cold, and I was like, ah, I'm not going to want to get out of bed. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> And now here we are just, whatever, eight hours later, the sun is out, temps have come up quite a little bit, there's not as strong of a wind as there was yesterday. Madison, I'm in good shape. How about you? Yeah, me too. I know walking to class today was actually really nice. Oh, I bet. (laughs) But I know that seeing all of that on Twitter, it just kind of... um, Summed up Iowa weather, I guess. Yes, that's exactly what it did. That is the Midwest. You never know what you're going to get. It's uh, (laughs) the worst tasting box of chocolates ever, I suppose. Yeah, it can snow in the morning and then be perfectly fine in the afternoon. Absolutely. Well, that is the weather update, Madison. What do we have in the world of agricultural news today? Well, to kick it off here, Mike, so uh, you and Delaney, I know, kind of talked about the disaster aid um, to see if it was going to be approved, I believe, yesterday. Um, and today it did come out that U.S. disaster aid will not cover crops that were drowned in the flood here in the Midwest, um, mostly because the USDA doesn't have a program to compensate farmers for damaged crops in storage. Um, and, you know, they, you know, they haven't had this program mostly because there haven't actually been this many bushels, um, in storage just because of the oversupplied markets and kind of the low prices and even because of the trade war with China. So they just, they haven't really needed a program for that. And so they haven't, they don't have one to help farmers out right now, basically. That's right. I, I was talking to, um, well, somebody who works at the USDA when I was in Malvern last week covering the flood update, and, and that was exactly what they said. They said there's just, there is no legal mechanism by which USDA can uh, help growers either pay for this stored grain or, you know, cover contracts or anything like that there. Legally, they just can't. And uh, we had a blow yesterday, or I suppose last night, uh, the Congress has voted down any kind of disaster aid program. There was a $14 billion uh, bill, rescue bill being kicked around that was going to help uh, wildfire victims, flood victims here in Iowa and Nebraska, and, um, oh, golly, hurricanes, uh, the hurricane victims from last year. And that didn't pass. It didn't even come close. I believe it was something like, 41 to 44 was the final vote, and to pass it needed 60, and uh, Democrats were opposed to it because they do not like the fact that President Trump is not doing much to help out Puerto Rico after they were hit by the hurricanes, uh, Irma and Maria. So not a whole lot of relief on the horizon for uh, the Midwest or California or Puerto Rico anytime soon, which is really too bad to hear. 
I know. And that just kind of hits home for a lot of people because they, it see, it just seems like, you know, maybe you would want to help your own citizens. Um, and obviously Puerto Rico is kind of part of the U S but still it's just, I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, hopefully it, they're going to go back to negotiations. The Senate has moved on from disaster relief in the immediate term, but I know that uh, a lot of Iowa and Nebraska legislators are continuing to push for it. We're continuing to hear voices out of Puerto Rico. Hopefully they're going to get behind closed doors and, and hash something out because as uh, Undersecretary Bill Norvey was saying last week, a lot of the funds that USDA had available for programs that they do have, uh, whether it's livestock indemnity or the whole barrage of different programs that mm -hmm. USDA offers, a lot of that money has been sucked down because uh, 2018 was a year so full of disasters that their powder just isn't very dry. So hopefully, uh, hopefully something will get done here shortly. My fingers are crossed. I know a lot of our listeners are as well. And actually, yes, Madison, while we're talking about the flood damage, I've got an update here from uh, Kyle Tapley, who is a senior agricultural meteorologist at a company called Maxar. And we've heard a lot of different numbers about affected acreage coming out of the uh, the Missouri, the Platte, and the Niobrara River floods. Uh, anything from a couple hundred thousand all the way up to a million acres have been affected. Mm -hmm. And uh, this meteorologist says that so far of crop acres, so not looking at pasture and rangeland, just crop acres, uh, he expects to s that about 400,000 acres were affected, either inundated or or otherwise inaccessible by the floodwaters that we saw here in, uh, gosh, mid-March. Geez, it hasn't even been a month since those floods uh, swept through those states, which is, man, time goes slow in a disaster, I suppose. Yes, definitely. And what I think is the worst about that is, you know, a lot of the, especially crop acres, um, that were affected by the flood, flood water may not be able to be planted in, on again. Right, right. I was just watching a video. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of our listeners are familiar with our friend Snarkasaurus on Twitter, the cattle trader, Bitcoin trader, little jack, uh, jack of all trades over in Chicago. And he has been over in Nebraska and South Dakota working with uh, some of his friends who are in the ranching business and just watching his videos of the devastation mm -hmm. to a lot of this ranch land is I, I can't even wrap my head around it. You know, the rivers that have moved a quarter of a mile and left a trail of sand across their entire uh, bottom ground area, driftwood, sitting in pastures. It's, it, yeah, he was helping pull pull mama cows and fall calves out of uh, mud holes. And uh, it's just it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. And even to just kind of move on, uh, Mike. So I have another piece of news here, um, kind of about the possibility that Trump wants to close the U.S.-Mexico border. Um, and this kind of caught my eye, mostly because if we do, if the border is closed, we could lose or basically run out of avocados in three weeks. <laughs> Way to take In the millennial weeks. approach there, Madison. I, I like that. Look at avocados first and foremost. I 
love avocados. My mom could vouch for this. We both love guacamole and even just eating plain avocados in salads or wraps or even on sandwiches. Um, but also not just hitting the avocado industry. This would also hit other fruits and vegetables as well as dairy because dairy, um, dairy producers did point out that Mexico is one of the largest exporters or for our export market for U.S. milk goods. And that was about $1.4 billion in dairy exports last year to Mexico. Yeah, and the last thing the dairy industry needs is another disruption and another way to to lose money for sure. Exactly. And so hopefully we will not see the border close, mostly you know, to help those industries keep moving forward and rather not see more of a setback. Absolutely. And it's not just fruit and vegetables and dairy. It's also corn. Mexico is our number mm-hmm. one uh, international buyer of U.S. corn. They buy about 630 million uh, metric tons a year, excuse me, million bushels a year. And boy, if we close that border, that trade stops, uh, you know, and it stops right away. However, there was some good news. Trump's comments today uh, were during a, a press meeting in the Oval Office. And, and like you say, he definitely said that it's still on the table. He said, uh, I value security more than trade was one of his comments. But he also came out a little bit later and said that he was excited to see or pleased to see that Mexico is starting to make an effort apprehending some migrants uh, before they even reach the U.S. border. So some of the trade, some of the analysts are looking at that comment and going, hey, all right, maybe he's backing off a little bit on the closing the border rhetoric. Maybe if Mexico steps up and we don't have these uh these, you know, uh, migrant caravans reaching our border, maybe this issue will go away. So let's keep our fingers crossed because you need your avocados, the dairy industry needs money, and the corn market certainly doesn't need to lose uh, any more demand as we head into uh, the growing season of 2019. Yes, exactly. We'll definitely keep our eye on that one. Yes, indeed. And we've got another thing to keep our eye on, and this is especially relevant here in Iowa, but I think it is something we are going to see uh, reverberate across the Corn Belt, and this is a new lawsuit. Uh, ICCI, the Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement, which is a group of people who agitate very loudly against really any progress that's happening in agriculture. They're opposed to all sorts. I'm not a huge fan of ICCI. Generally speaking, they have partnered up with a Washington group called Food and Water Watch, and they filed a lawsuit yesterday suing the state of Iowa, claiming that the state has violated its obligation to protect the Raccoon River for the use and benefits of Iowans. And um, corn growers came out with a statement. Uh, Kurt Meather, who is the president of the Iowa Corn Growers, said Iowa farmers are aware of the role we play in the state's quality of life. This includes the water we share by implementing the nutrient reduction strategy. We embrace the best science and rely on years of experience to collaborate in results results that better our water. However, ICCI and Food and Water Watch are saying that the nutrient reduction strategy does not go far enough, and they are seeking the state to crack down. And I mean, I think their ideal situation is to set up a scheme like we see in the Chesapeake Bay area where farmers need to get permission and approval before doing any sort of 
work with nutrients on their ground. So we will keep an eye on this. Like I say, it was filed yesterday, um, very similar to the lawsuit that was filed by the Des Moines Waterworks three years ago. Maybe it has legs, maybe it doesn't, but uh, you know that they're going to try this approach in other states as well. So listeners, stay tuned, and uh, we'll keep an eye on it. Yes, definitely keep an eye on that. Um, Yeah, and... We'll just have to keep watching that to see if that does get um, a hearing or anything. And another thing we've been keeping an eye on, Mike, um, is obviously the U.S.-China trade talks. We still haven't seen a whole lot going on with there, but China did buy another 828,000 metric tons of U.S. soybeans, as well as moving to add fentanyl to a list of controlled substances starting May 1st. And, uh, you know, a lot of lawmakers and um, legislators are seeing this kind of as a positive thing because of, uh, you know, Trump's domestic priorities. And it's one um, to kind of combat that opioid crisis. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. You know, fentanyl has been uh, manufactured in China for quite a while, and the administration has really been trying to put pressure on them. So it was certainly an olive branch to see coming from China that they were going to reschedule that drug and, uh, you know, perhaps curtail it. I'm not sure how much good it's going to do. I I don't know Chinese drug policy, you know, off off the back of my hand, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly a good sign. And anything we can do to... uh, to reduce the opioid ec- epidemic going on in this country is is a good thing, particularly in uh, in rural areas. Yes, definitely. And I know um, they were really seeing as a positive of just kind of moving those negotiations along because um, they are it it was more seen as they're willing to kind of work with President Trump and um, kind of keep moving things forward. Yes, indeed. We got to keep moving that ball down the field. Conversations begin tomorrow officially in those trade talks in D.C. So hopefully we'll have some news. Hopefully we can continue to see China stepping in, making some soybean purchases. You know, I am sure that their purchase today did not hurt the market. Finally got old crop beans back above nine dollars, Madison, which is good news for a lot of our listeners. It's not like super awesome news, but it is better than seeing beans, you know, drop below $8. So we're, we're baby steps. We're making progress. Yes. Yes, for sure. Slowly, but surely. Yes. You got to stay positive. Exactly. Well, Madison, do you have any other news for us on this uh, Tuesday hashtag tech Tuesday uh, episode? Well, I, Mike, I do just have one little thing. It's not really a new piece of news, but I found it and I thought it was great, especially with, um, you know, all the disaster aid things and just everything kind of going on in the U.S. Um, that farm and ranch families of Farm Bureau actually kind of started a program about 17 years ago, and it's called Harvest for All. And this is spearheaded by members of Farm Bureau's Young Farmers and Ranchers program. And last year in 2018, they donated 32.4 million pounds of food and raised more than $300,000 to assist hungry Americans. Wow. So they're going to kind of kick that off here this year pretty soon. And overall, they have raised or they have gathered 306 million pounds of food and logged more than 
179,000 volunteer hours and raised um, $7.8 million in donations. Um, so I just thought that was kind of a positive thing to end our news segment on today. That is a positive thing. Now, do you have any contact information? If, if any listeners want to get involved with this, do you know where they can go for info? Just go to the American Farm Bureau Federation website, Perfect. I believe. But if I, I will link it in the our description box today. Excellent, excellent. It's always a, a good reason to check out the website, ladies and gentlemen. Well, with that, Madison, we've got a great discussion coming for our Hashtag Tech Tuesday, talking about some of the new tools that are out there to assist farmers with managing and interpreting all of the data that is generated on your farm today. We'll be talking to uh, Ramey Schmaltz from a very cool Canadian company called Decisive Farming. But before we do that, what do you say? Should we jump in and see what the markets ended on for this uh, Tuesday? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, remember our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Get in touch with them, utilize them to manage some of your marketing risk. You can reach our friends over there at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Well, we've got mixed trade today in the corn market. May corn down a quarter penny at 361.5 with the December contract up three quarters to close the day at 389.5. In soybeans, as I mentioned, the May contract climbed four and a half cents to close at $9 on the button. November new crop also up four and a half, finished at 9.32 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, May up one and a quarter pennies at 464, even with July up half a cent at 468 and a half. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got green in live cattle, red in feeders. The April live cattle contract was up 10 cents at 126.2750. The June up 17 and a half to close at 119.65. In feeders, April down 60 cents at 144.85. With the May down a dollar 07.50, wrapped up the day at 147.80. And in lean hogs, they are back in the green today in a big way. April front month up a dollar fifty-five, closed at seventy-eight ninety-five. With the May limit up on the day at eighty-four dollars. Jumping over to the world of dairy in Class Three milk, the March contract, of course, unchanged on the day as we are in April second. The April contract big move to the upside, twenty cents higher, closed at fifteen eighty-five. With the May up fifteen at 15.67. Without further ado, let's kick it over to my conversation with Ramey Schmaltz from Decisive Farm. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Tech Tuesday, and we are going way up north today. We are talking to Ramey Schmaltz, the president and CEO of Decisive Farming, about uh, what Decisive Farming is, and specifically about a product that they've got out that we think our listeners will be very interested in. Ramey, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thanks for reaching out, Mike. I, I look forward to our discussion today. I do, too. It sounds like you guys with Decisive Farming are certainly up to a lot of different things. Why don't you give us the background? What What is Decisive Farming? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely exciting times in agriculture. Uh, decisive Farming, uh, we're, we're a Canadian company. Uh, really focused on uh, the, the North American market, and we provide a, a data platform that functions as the primary operating system for a crop farmer. So covering everything from uh, how to optimize production in the field, efficient use of, of crop inputs, 
through to uh, farm management and, and compliance, traceability reporting, as well as crop marketing and risk management. Man, that is that. Well, like you say, that is pretty much everything. Why don't you tell me a little bit about the the different products you guys have out there from the the Decisive Farming Hub? For sure. Yeah. So our you know Decisive Farming's business model has really been to uh, to develop, but also partner with best and breed companies uh, in, in the market already. Um, so we one of our our main offerings that we're, we're focused in the U.S. market in, for example, is is called No Risk. Uh, it's in partnership with INTLFC Stone, um, you know, the, the global Fortune 500 company, commodity brokerage and, and risk management firm. Uh, and so really bringing uh, high-level expertise down to the farm level that uh, the growers are able to access some of the brightest minds that are, are based in the U.S. But, and, and in Canada uh, and access, uh, you know, their, their network that's, uh, that's global uh, that are, you know, really boots on the ground in those other, other markets as well. And Really being able to bring that uh, that guidance onto the farm, be able to track margin in near real time, uh, really being able to connect that financial market uh, back to the farm, so that you're able to have a uh, a good finger on on the pulse of what's happening on your farm, and and be able to deploy different uh, risk management strategies. Now, for our listeners, that's no risk, K N O W dash risk, not N O risk. Of course, nobody can get us to no risk, but Tell me a little bit about how that program works. It, I assume it's all cloud-based, and it, we're just pulling things off the internet to put the pieces together. Yeah, so no, no risk is a uh, service that's uh, offered through our, our broader My Farm Manager platform. So My Farm Manager is our, our main data platform. It's all uh, web-based, accessible through any browser. We have some mobile apps and stuff for iOS and Android, uh, and one of the services through there is is no risk, and and, and that's right. It's it's really about uh, it's really about knowledge of risk, uh, and so our software automatically has price updates. Uh, it can value futures and options positions. It allows you to do things like what you know, what if I buy a put option today? How how does that work for me? And it's very hands on. It's it's not just about software, and it's really end to end support. So. Uh, between Decisive Farming and FC Stone, we, we work with the grower to, to get their information into the system, uh, help keep it up to date, and then really help them deploy those strategies. So outline some very clear goals. Uh, you know, often uh, you know, you've got some succession that's occurring on the farm, maybe a father-son dynamic. You know, dad wants to spend more time uh, golfing somewhere and, and the son's trying to take over the marketing. And often it's that communication piece. And and just setting clear expectations between the different team members on the farm. And we help facilitate that, capture that in the software, and then be able to track that in real time so that when an opportunity does occur that, that meets what their business objectives are, uh, that they're able to execute on that very quickly. Uh, FC Stone tracks that, you know, and, and monitors that. So th- they could be busy planting. Uh, you know, they'll get a phone call there and, and have, a, have a really meaningful discussion about, hey, here, here's what's happening out there. Uh, in the market locally and, and, you know, bigger picture globally, uh, and then coming up and finalizing plan, both uh, from a, could be on the financial markets, you know, futures and options, but it could also be locally, you know, basis strategy or, uh, or working directly on the, on the elevator side of, of what you want to do in the physical markets. You know, it's really been incredible, Ramey, to watch how all of these different tools are coming together now under a, a really one address there with my farm manager. Now, how long have you guys had this product in development, and how long has it been out there for the uh, for the farming public? 
So decisive farming's been around since 2011. We, you know, we we started. Uh, well, my my family's been in in ag business for four generations, over 100 years. Everything from farming to equipment dealerships to ag retail. Uh, and so some of the the underpinnings of my farm manager started back in 2009, uh, specifically around precision agronomy. Um, and then it it really evolved into a broader platform where we said, you know, I, I we don't think the farmer wants to just keep entering data in all these different platforms. We don't really think the farmer wants to enter data to begin with. They want their data to be there. They want to be able to access, use it, and and have ownership of it. And so um, No Risk uh, got launched uh, around 2011 as well. Uh, in, and it's been available in the U.S. Uh, just about 18 months now with FC Stone. Uh, in Canada, it, it was it's been available since 2011. Uh, we've got a really, really solid grower base up in in Canada that's using that technology, and it's and it's been very, very successful, very high retention rate. Uh, and so we're we're excited about the opportunities in the U.S. market and in helping uh, those growers be be more profitable and and have better plans and be able to capture those opportunities when they occur. Well, and you hit on something that's huge, and I hear this from growers all over the place. Nobody wants to enter data. I mean, can you talk me through what the front end, the user dashboard looks like for my farm manager? How much time am I going to need to spend setting this puppy up in the first place? So, yeah, that that's a, that's a big thing for us. We spend a lot of time with our, our development team and our grower advisory panel that is a, a group of growers that, you know, feeds us you know, how, how they'd like to operate their farm and make sure that we're, we're aligned with where we're headed. And, and uh, so today, for, for some of our customers, and depending on the, the geographic region you're in, you could actually come in to my farm manager and almost have all of your data populated there. So you would have a, a kind of a, a generalized budget and everything. Uh, your, your, once we have your fields, know where your fields are, it can actually populate uh, the, the crop history for those fields. Uh, so it's almost like fully automated in a lot of ways. So it then allows you to, to fine tune and tweak and, and hone those those numbers in, uh, but gives you a really good starting point with uh, with very little effort. Uh, and then uh, because our, our platform is really designed to help service providers such as agronomists, uh, crop marketers, and so on and so forth, deliver their services more efficiently, uh, they, they work on the platform as well. And so that we provide workflow automation tools to them so that you know allows them to scale their business better, and in doing so, they they're capturing their the information that they're working with the farmers on as well in there. So a lot of this really comes through you know uh, automation through service providers and, and that workflow being captured. We also have integrations with you know John Deere and and Case and and a number of other uh, API connections we've made. So we're seeing more and more sensors uh, get connected to the platform to automate that data collection. Um, and we're seeing more and more of those service providers who want. So for the farmer, it almost like minimizes the amount of uh, data that they have to actually enter and, and keep up to date, uh, which is really critical to uh, to adoption of these types of platforms. Absolutely. Speaking of that, how has adoption been since you've rolled it out, especially here in the U.S.? Uh, so we've continued uh, with really solid growth. So what, what we call our, our paid product acres, uh, overall we have a 60% compounded annual growth rate of, of those acres. Uh, of customers paying for our, our technology and services overall. Um, in the in the U.S., we've uh, it, it still is early days, but you know we're we're starting to get some traction there, uh, both uh, through FC Stone and, and the co-op network that they work with, and then in in other regions where you know we just have some direct to farm relationships. So it uh, we're starting to get some good pickup as well. 
you mentioned the cost. What does the cost uh, of the My Farm Manager piece look like for growers who are interested in uh, in adopting this technology? Yeah, so it's it's uh, very reasonably priced. Um, so for farms that want to uh, to adopt the technology, we we have what we call a, a DF membership. Uh, so that that comes with our our mobile app called Croptivity for iOS and Android. So any, anything you want to do from your phone uh, fully functions offline. They're able to uh, access it there uh, while you're out in the field, as well as the My Farm Manager platform. And basically, uh, you can get in starting in and around those things for as little as $200 per year per farm. Oh, wow. Um, so it's not a and, per acre cost necessarily. No, no, not not uh, n- not that. So so from there, you know, we have additional services as you add on. So if you want to add no risk, if you want to add some uh, data analysis services like cleaning up yield data, if you want to do things like variable rate, um, th- those are per acre per year uh, subscriptions that, that would get added on top. And, and those would range, you know, anywhere from, you know, uh, let's call it uh, $3 an acre. And, you know, you can stack them and, you know, get up to about $10 an acre. But, uh, it, it, you know, there's discounts and stuff for, for combining multiple offerings together. But a lot of efficiencies in, in the, the data movement and then having really an integrated uh, solution because, you know, when you make a decision with your agronomist and what you're going to do, I mean, that obviously affects the marketing side, right? If you change a crop plan or if you have an update to what you think your yield is going to be, you know, how hedged you are or what your marketing plan is, it automatically is updated so that that advisor is also in the know of what's happening. Fantastic. And one of the things you mentioned early on is data ownership. That continues to be a really hot topic in the world of agriculture as we're putting more and more data out there on the cloud. What is your vision? What is the decisive farming vision of who owns this data that is being imported into uh, into your tools? The farmer owns the data. You know, it, it, it's unfortunate that we're even having that debate in the industry. Um, and I, I think that it, it's really unfortunate some of the misleading, um, you know, uh, clauses and statements that, that some of the, some of the larger players have where they're, they're claiming that, that some, that the farmer owns the data, but then you read the, it's not even small print. It's actually large print. And, you know, the farmer can't share, copy, edit, delete. And I, I question what that really means. If, if you can't do those things, do you really own it? Right. So we make it, we, we make it really easy for our clients. They, they can export, uh, their, their data right out of the system, uh, you know, in, into a spreadsheet very easily, uh, with the click of a button. Uh, so they can share their, their information at will. Uh, if they, they no longer want their information in the system, uh, we're, we're happy to delete it. Um, our, our model has been, we've done some different programs around some different specialty crops where we've had certain buyers that are, are looking for information on the production of these crops. Uh, and we've actually done a revenue share uh, with, uh, with some of these companies and, and revenue share back to the farmers that, that wanted to participate in that. Uh, so for us, it, it's, it's about really being aligned with the grower. Uh, we feel that uh, if, if someone's benefiting from data specifically you know, to their farm, the farm should financially benefit without a doubt. Absolutely. Data is another asset that uh, growers should be able to tap into. I think that's fantastic. Now, you also mentioned the increase in API uh, interlinks, or I don't know what you call it in your fancy tech words, but tying all the sensors into your into your tools. As you look out one, two, ten years into the future, what type of sensors are you most excited about seeing them integrated into what you guys have built there at Decisive Farming? 
there's some uh, there's some really exciting technology coming out around you know nutrient uh, sensors. I, I think are going to be probably the next big break here, um, and that's just you know being able to to measure things on the go such as nitrogen uh, and and other other nutrient levels, uh, and and I think that's just going to allow growers to to be more efficient both from a timing aspect but also just in a in a in a volume and, and quantity aspect of what they're applying in the field. Um, so that's that's probably right on the horizon. There's there's a number of companies working around some of those. Haven't seen any anyone take a dominant position in that, it, it, but I, I believe that's coming real soon. Um, so that that is really I, I think we're seeing weather stations or, or other kind of gateways being set up as kind of the hub uh, that you can bolt on a number of different sensors, such as you know soil moisture sensors are, are also those are those are quite widespread now, and we're seeing a lot of uptake of those. Um, and then, you know, I, I think it's, it's starting to move into, you know, logistics inventory management, uh, certainly uh, grain bin sensors, uh, way wagon sensors. We have an integration with a company called Agromatics, and they actually really neat technology. They just, they just plug right into the, uh, the grain cart or the way wagon, and all of, all of the loads that are dumped from the combine into the, into the cart uh, get you know, collected and, and automatically sent into my farm manager. So you have very accurate uh, actual weights from each field. So it's just, you know, that, that collection of data is going to get more and more simple, uh, more and more automated and, and reducing the amount of effort that the, the operator has to uh, actually be doing. Yeah, it is a really neat time to be in this ag data sphere. Uh, Ramey, if we've got listeners out there who are enthusiastic and curious about uh, My Farm Manager and what Decisive Farming has to offer, where should they go to get more information? So DecisiveFarming.com. Uh, you can also uh, send us an email at you know sales at DecisiveFarming.com. Um, also find us on you know, social media at DecisiveFarming. And feel free to call us too, 1-800-941-4811. And happy to, you know, jump on, do a demo. Um, we, uh, we, we like to make sure that everyone on the farm team is, is trained and, and comfortable in, in using the technology. Uh, and because it, it often does change the, a, a bit of the process to how you operate and, and how communication flows. So that hands-on support is really critical. Fantastic. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you kindly, Mike. Have a great day. Well, a huge thank you to Ramey Schmaltz. You know, I always love talking to Canadians. They're very friendly people, and that accent, I could listen to it all day long. Madison, if we've got listeners who want to listen to us all day long for whatever reason, uh, where should they go to download some of our episodes? You know, Mike, listeners can always go to our website at globalagnetwork.com, but they could also find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. That is correct. And, of course, they can always find us on social media. Check us out on Twitter and on Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily and we'll be there, as the song says. With that, Madison, what do you say? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.